Thanks for coming back to another episode of the NES Experience. Uh, this episode, we're going to be focusing more on speed. So we're going to be discussing if you can get faster or if it's something that's just genetically kind of predetermined. I know myself, uh, I never really was a fast guy. I used to be when I was like a little kid, like six or seven, just running around playing basketball or whatever. Uh, but, you know, once I grew up and got bigger, uh, was not fast. But yeah, that's what this episode's going to kind of cover. Uh, just areas where you can improve your speed and a few things that you probably shouldn't do as well if you're trying to get faster. Uh, and then at the end too, we have a uh, little bit of a uh, bonus story from Ned. So yeah, that's going to be this episode. So we'll just get into it. Uh, can you get faster or is speed just genetically predetermined? Um, so the first question that always gets answered is, can you get somebody faster? Are you, you know, genetically disposed to, you know, what your speed is going to be by the time after, you know, the hormones hit. So the answer is speed is a skill that can be trained and developed. We say it all the time. Um, if you look at something like the NFL combine, they, all the guys, so you're looking at, you know, the top whatever 250 300 football players that are about to go to the nfl they all go to private uh performance facilities and they train and prepare for it from eight weeks to 12 weeks it's a 40 hour a week job um nine to five round the clock treatment and part of that component is taking a guy getting him healthy and then taking him out and you know developing him and he's got to hit his numbers so those numbers don't come down 100% because of injury and the recovering from their season and things like that. It's because they're working with, now not all of them are good, but you know places like Exos in California and Bomberitos in Florida, myself, um, but your big places that train a lot of guys, you know they have a pretty good system down. And when you watch the NFL Combine, you see everybody generally running the same way. And that's because technology and you know these guys that have been doing it like i've been doing it for 20 years they've been doing it for 20 30 years and you learn a lot you know during that process so yeah speed is a skill can be trained and develop if you do it the right way and we can't take somebody we maximize genetic potential so we can't necessarily take someone that's a 5.0 40 and turn it into a 4.3 but what we can do is we can maximize, you know, the the amount of results that they can get. So maybe their their maximum genetic potential is a four seven, but usually, you know, ninety nine percent of the time, if you commit to the program and you put in your time and you're learning from somebody credible and they give you a sound program and all the stuff we're going to talk about today, hundred percent you can get faster. So, yeah, that uh, I myself, I was a, a five two guy on a good day. I got down to four nine at one point my senior year, uh, going into freshman year of college. Uh, but that makes a lot of sense. You can't really take someone who is uh, built to, you know, kind of be more on the slower side and turn them into, a, you know, an Olympic sprinter. But are there any kind of like, you know, keys or anything like that to just improving your speed? Yeah, I mean, we kind of break it down into four categories. Look, you could break it down into 15 categories, but um, I don't want to go through 15 bullet points. 
Um, but the main ones are the first thing most important is strength. And unfortunately, in private sectors, you're seeing a lot less, you know, strength development because it's more about flash and, you know, bands and running through cones and obstacle courses and just people that don't understand how to improve speed and how to properly, you know, teach the mechanics, that component is, you know, not always there, but, um, you know, strength is super important. Now that's a very vague, you know, topic or point of view or area of, you know, the four keys. So within strength, we need, um, a sound periodized program. So periodization is basically manipulating intensity and volume to elicit a response. If you are working with somebody that's credible and they have a sound strength conditioning program, they are doing, you know, lighter weight, higher volume. Um, they they acclimate you, um, into the program. Then they'll spend time in hypertrophy, which is increasing muscle size. And, you know, they use tempos and rest periods to elicit a response. So we want to get the muscle bigger. And then, um, then we address strength. So when you look at, you know, what we do and what's important, the number one way to get faster is single leg strength. Um, if you want to get your acceleration or your first step quickness better, you want to do, you know, single leg Bulgarians or elevated split squats, dumbbell split squats, um, single leg strength transfers over to speed better than your classic, you know, uh, back squat deadlift. The second thing it, well, the third thing would be posterior chain strength. So when we teach the running mechanics to the athletes, we teach them to use their glutes and their hamstrings for powerful hip as powerful hip extensors. So, you know, that's where your Bulgarians and your RDLs, um, and we load them heavy, meaning 135 pound RDLs aren't going to, you're going to grow out of that and you're not going to get a response and you're going to have limited strength out of the hamstrings. When you run at full speed, um, at your top end speed, your hamstrings are what propel you forward more than anything else. So, um, we, you know, that's an important thing and loaded heavy, like you would a back squat. We don't do one rep maxes for our deal, but like four sets of five. And then the, the last one is special strengths, variable loading strength. So accommodating resistance, bands and chains, um, really working all areas of the force velocity curve. I mean, getting, getting faster is being able to put the number one thing is being able to put a lot of force into the ground. And that's what lengthens your stride out. Gotcha. Uh, is there any one of those things that's, you know, you'd rank above the others? I know you were saying earlier about things being a little bit more flashy, you know, like single leg strength, RDL bands. Is there any kind of like way you'd rank them? Um, it all depends on who you are, what skill level you're at. Everything is a case by case basis, but because I have to do this, as I said, the number one way to improve your acceleration is a dumbbell Bulgarian being able to go heavy. You know, if you're a 180 pound guy, you should be able to do 110 pound Bulgarians. So 220. So you should be able to do over your body weight on one leg. And then the second one to the number one way to improve your top end speed is to do RDLs, heavy, heavy loaded hamstring, um, 
barbell RDLs. Cool, cool, good stuff. Uh, so what would uh, the next kind of key do uh, to increase in speed be? Um, so the second one is we want to put a lot of force on the ground. Number two is decrease ground contact time. And the way that you, the best way to decrease ground contact time, making use of the stretch shortening cycle and doing power act, um, exercises. So what most places, the only thing that they get right, but they still get it wrong is, you know, hang cleans are a way to do this, but they're completely played out um, and they're done too frequently. So power is a brain central nervous system activity. And your brain, just like your body, it can become fried and overtrained. So, you know, do we clean? Yes, but we do it once a week. We don't do the catch, you know, something like a hang clean pull. So that's going to help. But other ways that no one else does, which, I mean, or if they do, they do wrong. And a lot of this is me, you know, taking target again at college strength and conditioning. But, you know, you got to look at, you know, weighted reactive stuff. So something like, you know, dumbbell jump squats or a barbell backloaded um, jump squat. If you look at um, the Vertimax, something that we use, that's with the bands attached to the hips. So that's variable resistance. You're going through a stretch shortening cycle and it's improving power. And power improves, improves elasticity, um, which helps you generate more force also which, you know, makes you faster. And then plyos, you see our guys, we jump a lot. Um, it's that acceptance of a load and, and really training that, that rubber band in your calves and in your hips to be able to, you know, accept more tension and, and create more force. So plyo jumps the right way, hurdle jumps, vertimax, weighted power, box jumps, all different ways. It doesn't have to be hang clean, hang clean, hang clean, you know, three days a week. Yeah, no, that makes uh that makes a lot of sense. Just being able to uh to generate that force. Um, then the the next key, uh, I guess the third one, what would that be? Um, flexibility and mobility. So when we're when you're spending all this time lifting weights, I mean, when muscles get bigger and they get stronger, you know, and they're the more muscle contracts repeatedly you know it's going to get put in a shortened position so being tight when we're looking at body angles you know acceleration when you first come out your first 10 yards of sprinting you know being able to achieve a lean and getting the the leg up all the way to produce force if you have tightness in the hips tightness in the glutes um, you're not going to be able to bring your leg as high and if you can't bring your leg as high you can't produce as much force so you know the flexibility and mobility out of the hips you got to look at the ankle joint also so people with repetitive ankle sprains and if you don't if you don't have the mobility in the ankle you're going to minimize the amount of you know stored elastic energy because it can't go through enough range you know to create enough force to propel yourself forward so a lot of we have the high school hand and hall guys that are getting ready two weeks they're going to be doing a um, school combine where basically 20 college coaches come in and evaluate them and we're preparing them for forties. And, um, these, you know, are the types of things, you know, that we're, you're hitting heavy, hitting hard on, you know, right now. So it's stretching is tough because kids don't want to stretch. And when you only have, you know, three, four days a week, 90 minute sessions, stretching is just, you know, not addressed 
And to give you an example, I had a kid in college. He was a 475, 40 guy. And we went through the whole summer and I kept begging him, like, please just stretch, dude. You, you're so strong. You just can't get your legs up and you take a whole bunch of steps and you don't go anywhere. If you get mobile, it's the number one thing guaranteed you'll get faster. And season one, he didn't do it. Season two, he came back. So I didn't see him for a year. And we go out and test and he was a four or five and his 40 looked completely different. And I was like, oh my God, you finally listened to me. And he was like, yeah, it's crazy. I didn't do anything else. I just, you know, stretched and foam rolled every day. And now you're a four or five. If you would have done that in high school, you wouldn't be in the, you know, juco football situation that you're in. It's just, he figured it out too late, but instantly you can get faster by becoming more mobile, pliable and elastic. I know uh, just being tense and just the the stress of running a 40 and just all that tension, just, you know, slowing you down, people telling you to relax and try and be loose all the time, actually taking the time and putting the effort to stretch and foam roll. It makes a lot of sense to have that skill. It's just another tool in the bag. Uh, and then the last kind of uh, key to, to speed, what would that be? So... <clears throat> The topic is running mechanics. Um, when you look at everyone that people come in, every time that people come in, they're saying, we want to do, you know, got to work on speed. Do you do running mechanics? You teach them how to run. And the answer is yes, we do. But it is a really hard thing to do. Um, and it takes a lot of time and experience. And most people don't have that, unfortunately. And it's not, it doesn't need to be, you know, the number one thing you do. That's why I put it at four. Um, the strength is the key. That's the number one, um, with movement in the beginning, it's building the foundation, getting the core stronger, getting the posterior chain stronger, single leg balance, addressing the imbalances, you know, filling in the backside of the body, improving the mobility and, you know, doing the, doing the single leg strength work and, and getting them stronger. They don't need to touch running mechanics, you know, especially if they are, you know, pre-puberty and things like that. Um, we incorporate the running mechanics more now, a, um, a little bit later in development after they've gone through a season and dumped some, done some of the base stuff. And really we don't even address it with everybody because if you're spending a whole bunch of time getting somebody to move in a different you know, way in position and they're not getting it, you know, the coach gets more frustrated, AKA me typically, cause I have no patience anymore. And we're really wasting time when we can have them doing other things not involved with that that are going to build them up and you get the same development. Now, once you get into year four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah, you have to, you know, you have to start addressing, you know, the movement and the body positions and things like that. When you run, there's certain things that should occur. So, you know, at the ankle joint, your toes should be pulled up. And when you're in acceleration, when you first start to go, you have to have a body lane and you should not bring your heel to your butt. You should throw your knee forward and attack back and get extension. And then, you know, as if you're running at top speed or you're in an open field sport like soccer, where you're running at 80% a lot of the time, you should be in an upright position with, you know, an efficient backside and, you know, the thighs should be able to cycle around the knee and you should then be at a front side. I wish I had a board to draw all this, but... Um, there is a specific way to run. If you look at Olympic sprinters, they all run the same way. So take just Google Olympics of videos, hundred meter dash. 
And yes, I mean, they're not robots. So you see, you know, some minor changes, but the things that I'm telling you about keeping the toe up and cycling around the knee and everybody hitting thigh block and having optimal arm angles and, you know, being able to be relaxed, like you said, when you run and not super tense, um, you can't be relaxed if your muscles are tight. I mean, you can, there, it's not, you can, but it's not going to be, you know, as efficient if you actually have the, the optimal, the optimal length of muscles. And if they're in a tightened position, it becomes harder for them to fire also. So if we want, we want to move with involuntary movements and rubber bands, not forced voluntary movements. Gotcha. Yeah, and the Olympic sprinters do run all the same. It looks like almost the the same kind of silhouette, just uh, one a little bit further out in front of the other when they're out there doing their thing. Uh, one of the things I, I you know was always told uh, very early on, just kind of running and stuff like that, was you know you want to run on the balls of your feet. So you're saying that's not the case. Um, if you look at the load on the feet, it should be, you don't want to be on your heels cause you want, in order to get the stretch reflex out of your calf, you have to have about a deck of cards underneath the heel to get that, you know, re- that reaction. Um, but you don't want to be too far on the balls of the feet where you're actively pointing your toe down because that eliminates your glute and your hamstring from being able to pull your body through to, you know, lengthen your stride out. So the answer is you want the answer is you want the ankle locked and you want to strike right underneath the hip, not in front of the body, because a lot of people do that. That's how you pop a hammy is by reaching your you know your foot too far in front of your body. So it causes breaking forces, which slows you down, and it basically takes the hamstring from completely unloaded to you know six to eight times your body weight, and then it overstretches and snapo pull popped hammy. Because typically in these people, they run the wrong way and their hammy isn't strong enough, you know, to be used as the, you know, in front of the body. So gets overloaded and then, you know, tweaks or pops. Yeah, popped hammies never a good time. Uh, and popped hammies, the main reason they occur outside of striking in front of your body is underdeveloped posterior chain and underdeveloped hamstrings. If they're not strong enough to take the load and the force that was generated through your quads they're going to overstretch and strain. So if you have hammy issues, the number one thing is, you know, strengthen the hammies. Yeah, that uh, that sounds like it would be good advice. Um, so are there, those are how you do run. Are there any kind of things that you shouldn't do to uh, when you're trying to improve your speed? Uh, you know, things you want to stay away from? Yeah, so the first don't would be don't run with your toe down. So I didn't mention this, but pulling your toe up and keeping your ankle locked when you run creates more stability. So you're going to reduce the risk of injury, ACL tears, um, I mean mostly ankle injuries, but loading effectively at the ankle helps reduce knee-related injuries also. So, And you have to strengthen that muscle that pulls the toe up. It's called your anterior tib. If you watch you know, any of our sessions, we don't put up that much because it's the boring corrective stuff, but we're, we're addressing that three days a week strengthening the muscle that keeps your toe pulled up because if it doesn't have the strength it can't stay up and if it can't stay up it goes down if it goes down it's the calf quad fire inhibits the glute from firing and uh, you're not optimizing you know your speed gotcha uh i know we were talking about this a little bit before uh, a few days ago uh people who are trying to like join online subscriptions uh 
to try and improve their speed. What do you think of that? That's my number two. Um, you know, I can't say the specific names, but if you see a sponsored ad with, I don't know, a million views and you see it every day, that means they're pumping out, you know, a hundred to five hundred thousand dollars. That's where your that's where your money's going at. And, you know, they go through and they their demos are over always super athletic, you know, guys that probably either played in the NFL or high level college football. And, you know, it's flashy. You see a lot of jumping and exploding and running and everything looks good. And they, they're going to try and sell you a video that's, you know, 59 to $199 of all these various drills where there's no coach present. And just by doing these drills, which means they're always generally going to be done the wrong way because who's coaching you? And then they, you know, give fake guarantees and... That really uh, isn't a good idea. I wouldn't go towards that direction. So number two is don't do remote programming because we're gonna we hear that all the time from me. Um, and don't do various sponsored ads and videos. And dude, if it's twenty nine ninety five a month, it's probably uh, not a good idea. So then the third, my number three is, and this is something that I didn't hear for a while, and. I was kind of refreshed, so probably 10 years since I heard this, but I have a soccer girl training right now, and her soccer coach said, this was five years ago, that the best thing you could do is not pick the leg up off the ground and take a whole lot of steps anywhere that you try and go. And that is 100% the exact wrong thing to do. So when you're running, whether you're accelerating or at your top speed, the worst thing you can do is keep your thighs low, feet to the ground, and take a whole bunch of steps. Your fastest people put a lot of force into the ground in a short amount of time. You can't put force in the ground if your legs aren't high enough. So um, you have to make sure that you're not listening to that horrendous advice because now I'm spending my whole time, so she's her, she's in the summer of her junior year, and she spent six years keeping her feet low to the ground. So the amount of reps, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of strides have been done the wrong way. And that makes my job harder to reprogram her because of what some guy said six years ago. And it could be you if you keep your feet low and take a whole bunch of steps. Or if you keep your legs low to the ground and take a whole bunch of steps. Yeah, that definitely sounds like something you uh, you shouldn't do and uh, really contradicts every kind of thing you think about when you want to be faster. Um, speaking of things that, you know, uh, I mean, I'd say probably about 10 years ago, actually, uh, I used to work out in the sand and stuff like that, doing uh, speed agility ladders and sprints and stuff. Uh, can that get you faster? Let's add a number four, and that is sound or sand workouts sand workouts um i don't even know where to start um part of running faster is being able to put force in the ground ground is typically pretty hard um if you are running in something that is not hard you're not getting that ground reaction force um to make you faster or to train to be faster 
so basically planting running in the sand and you when you plant the sand absorbs everything so you're not getting the the stretch shortening cycle in the calf and that elastic response to propel you forward and you're not training that aspect because there's sand so that's part one part two is most people that come in have a lot of imbalances especially in the ankle joint because the most typical one is kids get ankle sprains and then they lose the mobility in the ankle so they sprain it over and over and over again so they don't have the mobility to absorb the unstable ground underneath them so flat ground is pretty stable Uh, sand is not so you're going to increase the risk of injury especially if you have a lot of imbalances you know, by doing a lot of training and sand workouts. So, you know, is there a place for it? Yes. So when we were at IMG, we would be in a download week, change of stimulus, and we had these kids and they all went through a proper progression and, you know, they build a base and then we'll take them out there on a download week to change the stimulus. We'll put them in the sand and we'll do, you know, shuffling and backpedaling and, you know, some basic fundamental movements in the sand because we've built the base and it's not repetitive. It's in a controlled environment and they've been progressed, you know, appropriately to safely incorporate something like that, you know, into their, into their training cycle. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, makes sense. Like I said, in the beginning, I was never a fast guy. So doing all that sand workout didn't really help me. Uh, I've already said, you know, how I tore my ACL, but before that I had ankle issues. So yeah, I wonder why. Yeah. I think that pretty much covers it for, for this episode. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else you kind of want to, uh, touch on before we kind of wrap it up. I think we were all business. So, you know, the big things, if I have to recap, it is, it could be trained and developed. You got to you know, get stronger in the weight room, single leg strength, posterior chain. Number two, power. Don't just do cleans, vary it up or mix it up with, you know, well, you can't use the Vertimax unless you're somewhere with the Vertimax, but you know, dumbbell weighted stuff, box jumping, plyo bounds, um, and then stretch foam roll, do tissue work, get massages, get looser. So your body can actually go through the appropriate range of motion to actually produce the force, you know, in the right direction to get faster. And then if you're, you know, once you've done those three things and then you struggle, then you can start to incorporate running mechanics, but just putting on a parachute and running the wrong way isn't going to have minimal benefit. Yeah. And uh, that should about do it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to like, and subscribe. Uh, And yeah, we'll see you next week. And now, since it's the spring holiday season, uh, Easter, well, uh, this will be coming out on Easter and uh, Passover, you know, it's that time of year as well. We have a holiday story from Ned. So, yeah, my first Seder was uh, something interesting. So, I mean, being from Indiana, not a lot of Jewish people there, uh, a lot of Polish people, a lot of everything but Jewish people. So, you know, it was my first one. We get over there. I was hungry. And everybody's talking about all this food that's going to be served. And I was like, well, this is fantastic because I like to eat. And my mother-in-law does a fantastic job at feeding me always, 
always excess. Um, so we get there and then sit down and I just didn't know how long, truly long of a process that a Seder can be. And it, you know, it was the reading books and they read it the other way. So to me, that was a little bit weird. I kind of read left to right. They read right to left. Um, and then they go through, I mean, the book and then there's all these things. So before you know it, I'm dipping my finger in wine and you dab it on the plate and I'm eating parsley that's like super salty. You dip it in salt water and it's like, I don't know, an hour in and I'm like, where's the food, man? I'm starving. So, and it was just, I got, I got to the point where I was so hungry. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm out of here. So I get up, I go to the kitchen and it smells amazing and I see this massive pot of matzo ball soup. And I was like, now that's what I'm talking about. So I go in the drawer, grab a fork, open the lid. And then I just start smashing matzo balls. And, I, and it was truly the best decision that I made the whole night. Uh, until my mother-in-law walked in and she was like, hey, Ned, what you doing? And I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm really hungry. And it was a uh, pretty... It was a highlight, embarrassing uh, moment. How'd she? uh, So how'd you? How'd she take the fact that you were eating your dinner before it was served? I think she kept in mind that I'm a hillbilly from Indiana, and that I didn't know how everything was gonna go. So she's been very understanding of that. But uh, yeah, but it was kind of like, yeah, go back in there. And I'm like, okay, alrighty. But by that time, I threw enough down to where I was able to make it through the other hour and a half. And some of them, I don't know how long they're supposed to be. Like, what I've learned is every year the book's getting shorter and shorter and they're taking stuff out, which I'm all about. Um, but uh, the first, I mean, the ones 15 years ago, solid ass two and a half. Two. I mean, I think they might go like four. I don't know. But. All right, level two. So I'm like, next year. I'm like, I got this. So before we get to the house, because I'm smart, buy a, I buy a whole pizza. I'm like, I'm just going to smash pizza, buy the pizza. I'm going to go upstairs. And then my wife is like, yeah, man, you're, you're not supposed to have pizza in the house. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Why can't you have pizza in the house? And then she explained that. And I'm like, oh, great. What kind of pizza did you bring in? Was it Sheez Pizza? There was a place called Sal's Pizza. It's the best New York pizza I've ever had in my life. So when we talk about best pizzas ever, Sal's and Ossining, it was amazing. It went downhill uh, year by year also, and they actually sold owner or you know traded ownership, sold ownership, and now they folded. But 15 years ago, this stuff was the real deal. So then I so year three. I would drive and it was just go get my pizza, smash it in the car <laughs> and then go right in. And then that was like years three through, I don't know, seven. And, uh, yeah. So I learned it. I learned how to, how to navigate around it. But now I just, I don't know. Cause I didn't grow up around that at all. So learning curve learned. Learned.